Well, this morning we are going to turn to the Bible. We're going to turn to the 16th week of our series here in the book of Exodus. I'll encourage you to grab your Bible if you have it. The title of our message today is Faith or Fear. Faith or Fear. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 12 again, which is page 63, 64 in the Pew Bible, if you want to grab one of those. We spent a lot of time in Exodus chapter 12 over the last couple weeks. We've really focused in on these events that took place, the 10th the plague that the Lord brought upon Egypt and his merciful passing over of his people at that same time. So this morning, we're going we're gonna to go back into the narrative. We're going to pick up the events as they take place following the 10th plague, following that judgment upon Egypt and the Passover of God's people of Israel. And we're going to get through a couple chapters, actually, of the book of Exodus today. So to start, though, look at Exodus chapter 12, verses 29 to 30. We're going to refresh where we were in the narrative. At midnight, Yahweh struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. So here's where we left the narrative a few weeks ago. God was doing exactly what he said he was going to do, and he brought this terrifying, yes, uh, very powerful, yes, but perfectly just and righteous judgment upon Egypt, who had heard his word and refused to obey him, who were sinners, and paid the price that sin brings, death, the Bible tells us. And so now we finally see, following this 10th plague, following all of this take place, God did what he had foretold, what he had promised so long ago would be the response of God moving in this powerful way against Pharaoh in Egypt. This is what God intended from the very start, finally comes to pass, just as he said, verses 31, 32 of Exodus chapter 12. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up! Go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel. Go, serve Yahweh as you have said, and take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. So if you recall the promises of God to Moses that we've spent a lot of time reminding ourselves of and tracing throughout this narrative, God repeatedly told Moses, not only will I compel Pharaoh to let my people go, Moses, but when I have done all the signs and wonders that I intend to do in Egypt, when all that happens and when Pharaoh finally does let you go, he's actually not just going to let you go. He will drive you from the land. That's how you will leave Egypt. It was not going to be a drawn out, long course of several months, kind of getting things worked out, and then they get to go. This wasn't a political negotiation. This was nothing like when Britain withdrew from the EU. You guys remember that? Let me refresh you on the timeline how that went. Vote takes place in 2016. We're going to leave the EU, right? Well, that vote starts a two-year countdown. The process is built in. So you want to leave? Okay, but we're going to have some delay. We're going to have some time. Two years go by. You get to 2018, and it arrives, and here we go. Britain's going to leave the EU. No, (laughs) we need an extension. So they file for an extension, they get an extension, they stay in. Negotiations happening, processes working. Then another extension. Then another extension. Then the prime minister gets out, and a new prime minister comes in who says, all right, we're done with the extension thing, we're going out, like we voted all those years ago, we're going to get it done, no more extension. So on January 31st, 2020, Britain formally withdraws from the EU. Except even that formal withdrawal just started another clock. For 11 months, they were in a transition phase, and it wasn't until December 31st of 2020 that they finally were out of the EU. It was this long, drawn-out process of leaving the European Union. 
What happens in Exodus 12 is nothing like that. There are no negotiations. There's no delays. There's no extensions given. There's no politics. Well, let's work out what this will look like. Israel, you're going to leave all these people. We want, to, we want to establish some trade parameters. We want to kind of see if maybe you guys can come back and work a little bit. Or nothing. It's simply this. Pharaoh immediately obeys after this 10th plague and aggressively forces the people out of Egypt quickly without any time for preparation or negotiation. And we've looked at this, every time we've looked at a plague, we've reminded ourselves of what we see here is that God has always understood, always foreknown what Pharaoh was going to do. He knew every time Pharaoh was going to refuse when Moses and Aaron came before him and said, let my people go, and Pharaoh would say, no. God knew that ahead of time. God knew every single time Pharaoh was going to feel remorse, but not repentance. When a powerful plague was going to sweep through and he'd say, okay, okay, I relent, I'll let him go, and then as soon as the powerful plague stopped, he changed his mind. God knew that every single time. That was never a surprise to God. And God knew all the way ahead of time that when Pharaoh did finally send the people of Israel out, he would do so in this moment of great frustration and fear and intensity. He would drive the people out because he recognized Yahweh's power and he was finally compelled to comply. Understand, everything that God says is true and comes to pass just as he prophetically promises it. I've made that point over and over and over again throughout this series. I keep stressing this idea because it really is a key theme that we're supposed to pick up about our God as we go through the book of Exodus. When God says something, he does it. There's no fear that he's not going to do what he's promised to do. When he says this is what will happen, it will. He's completely reliable. He's trustworthy. He's unfailing. He's all powerful. He's never going, here's what I intend to do, but, you know, I'm really kind of worried because the armies are arrayed against me and they may overtake. No, he's got all power. Nothing stands against him. Nothing foils his plans. But we need to hear that truth over and over and over again because every one of us in this room forget this truth over and over and over and over again in our lives. And we so quickly turn and look to other things and rely on other things and want to trust in other things because we don't see God doing what we thought he would do the way we thought he would do it, and we begin to doubt if he actually does what he says he will do. That's what we're going to see in this text today, too. Let's look at verses 33 to 37, still in Exodus chapter 12. So the Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all be dead. So the people of Israel, they took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them. For they'd asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And Yahweh had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus, they plundered the Egyptians. And this little description of events that takes place here in this final phrase as he describes the plundering of the Egyptians is actually this direct fulfillment of a promise that God had made to Moses back in Exodus chapter 3 verse 21. He had told Moses, not only Moses am I going to deliver the people of Israel from their bondage in Egypt, but when you do leave Egypt, you will leave with great wealth and possessions. But this promise goes back even farther than Exodus chapter 3. In fact, if you're familiar with the biblical story, this goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 15, to a promise that God made not then to Moses, but to Abram. 
as he establishes the covenant with Abraham. He foretells of the captivity that's coming in Egypt, foretells Abraham the length his descendants will be in captivity in Egypt, and promises that they will be delivered and they will go out from that country with great wealth. Genesis chapter 15, verses 13 and 14. Yahweh said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. So again, notice this key point. The prophetic promises of God are always perfect. God knows the future fully because he controls it all completely. This wasn't just a potential. This wasn't, well, oh man, they're really afraid after the 10th plague. You know what? Maybe I should, maybe I should have Israel ask for some things and, and I can kind of bonus this exit. No, this was the plan for generations upon generations upon generations all the way back to Abram. This is what the Lord had intended to do with Israel in judgment of Egypt. The truth needs to be deeply embraced by us, that God knows the future fully because he controls it completely if it's going to have the full effect that God intends for us as his people to experience. But far too often, humanity will forget this truth because circumstances get difficult or painful or look different than what we expected them to look like, and we suddenly question, is God really in control? Does God really know what's happening? Can I really rely on him for the future? And we see this response here in the book of Exodus still. Verses 37 to 41. So the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of Yahweh went out from the land of Egypt. So if you've been in the series from the start, or you've listened back to the first few messages, understand the weight of what was just said there. This is a very large number of people, and we started the book out with 70 people coming into Egypt. Over the course of 430 years, from 70 to 600,000 men. They just counted the men at 600,000. Then there's the women and the children. This is why I've said the estimation that we think of people who left the land of Egypt with Israel was around 2 million people. Because they didn't even count the women and the children. But 600,000 men went out after this 430 years. And notice... This massive group of people leaves, and the text explicitly tells us they go out quickly with no provisions prepared. Remember, they don't have any time, right? There was no transition period here. Okay, guys, we're going to leave. We've got 11 months. Let's get everything packed up, figure out the best caravan structure. No, that day, they go with no provisions prepared. That's plenty of natural reason to find worry and fear as they're marching out of the land of Egypt, right? This phrase here, on that very day from this text, I think it's a little bit elusive in the English because you can read that and think on this very day, 430 years, to the day they came in, to the day they came out. That's not what he's actually saying here. He's not saying it's been 430 days to the day that they left Egypt. It's on that very day of the Passover, of God's mercy to Israel and judgment upon Egypt. It's on that very day that they're forced out. 
That's the context here. Right after Pharaoh and the Egyptians awoke after midnight on that day of judgment, they found out God has done exactly what he said he would do. That's why the next verse says, verse, 20, uh, verse 42, it was a night of watching. What was the night of watching? The night of the Passover. It was a night of watching by Yahweh to bring them out of the land of Egypt. And so this same night is a night of watching kept to Yahweh by all the people of Israel throughout the generations. It's talking about that Passover celebration that we talked about last week. That every single year, year after year after year, they would remember this night. They would worship on this night. God has delivered us on this night all those years ago. It was the night of the final plague and the Passover. This divine act of God took place to judge Egypt, to show mercy upon Israel. It was God at work. There was no natural explanation for that. As we said, when we talked about this text a few weeks ago, there's no virus that exists that can target the firstborn and just the firstborn. That was God divinely judging Egypt just as he had said he would do. It was his divine plan unfolding exactly as he told the people it would unfold. And so it's on that very same night, the Passover night, the 14th day of the first month of the year, it's a night of watching, a night of remembrance of God's work. And on that very day, God brought his people out of Egypt with no provisions, no preparation, no time, simply faith. Here we go. Follow me. So if we jump down to chapter 13, Verse 17, we'll pick up the narrative there. Now, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and want to return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. So notice this. There's another principle here that applies very directly to our lives. God knows the best path for his people to take. But that's often not the shortest path or the easiest path or the path that, path that makes the most sense to us in our human mind. God will sometimes lead us in ways that are uncomfortable or surprising or even difficult in a way that we don't want it to be difficult because God knows the weakness of his people completely. So the text is interesting because it tells us the people went up out of Egypt equipped for battle, but God says, I know they're not ready for battle. If, if he were to take them up into the area of the Philistines, along what's called the, the Via Maris, the way of the sea, from Egypt to Israel, if they were to take that straight shot up, it would take them less than two weeks to reach the promised land. But they would face battles that God knew they were not prepared for. Even though they're equipped for war, they're not ready to fight the Philistines. So instead of taking them the direct route, instead of taking the route that makes the most sense, instead of here we're heading up, God takes them the exact opposite way and takes them down towards the wilderness, towards the Red Sea. Not the expected place they thought they were going to go. Not a place that made sense to the people in the moment. But this is where God was personally leading them. And notice that God was personally leading them. Moses didn't get confused. Which way am I going? North, south? I can't. This was God leading. Look at verses 21, 22. For Yahweh went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they may travel by both day and by night. 
The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. (laughs) What an incredible experience it must have been to live as one of these people of Israel in this day, right? I mean, certainly very difficult, under a lot of persecution, under a lot of stress, under a lot of threat, under fear of death. I mean, having experienced the, the killing of the Israelite people by the Egyptians at the start of the book that we read about, but what an amazing experience of getting to see God do some incredible things that they got to see, right? I mean, God has started and stopped plague after plague after plague, demonstrating amazing power. God has repeatedly foretold to the people, here's what's going to happen, and it happens just as he says. He's never wrong, never a detail left out. He's always right. And now he is personally leading his people with this pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire by night. There should be no doubt in anyone's mind God is in total control. And they can see it, physically see God is taking us. This way, we're following him. Israel should have no question that whatever comes next, whatever God leads them into, is known by God. It's part of his plan. It's all under his control. I mean, if you can literally look and see God leading you like that, how could you doubt? And yet, (laughs) these people are just like you and I. And they give in to fear and doubt and anxiety so quickly. Look at the text. Verse 1 through 4 of chapter 14. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi Harhath, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal Zephron. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They're wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh. And they did so. So again, notice, God's leading them personally, right? The pillar is there. He's taking them where he wants them to go. Then he specifically speaks to Moses and says, here is where I want you to camp. You're in the right location. This is exactly where I want you. Establish camp. And Moses, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart yet again. I'm going to cause Pharaoh to come and pursue the people, and in doing so, I will get glory over him one more time, just as I have through all the plagues, just as I've been demonstrating time and time again. He's got no power compared to me. He can't stop me. He can't override my plan. I've got a plan for him, and I will execute it perfectly. So establish camp. Everyone is going to see, yet again, I am the one true God. And so we read the people of Israel, how they respond in verses 5 to 12. Now, when the king of Egypt, when Pharaoh was told that the people had fled, in the mind of Pharaoh and his servants, it was changed towards the people. And they said, what is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? I mean, again, just to step back, what have we done? Two million slaves have just left. The people we were using to build cities to store our vast treasures and wealth. What? We're crazy. Let's go get them and bring them back, right? So we read, he made his chariot ready and took his army with him. He took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And Yahweh hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them encamped at the sea by Pi Hahirath in front of Baal Zephron. When Pharaoh drew near, 
the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. The people of Israel cried out to Yahweh, and they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done in bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. (laughs) Now that response, if you've been in church, even if you just read the next couple of verses, right? That's incredible from our vantage point. We sit here and we look at these Israelites and we go, are you kidding? (laughs) After all that you have seen God do, after the clarity of his word, the fulfillment of his promises time and time again, how he's clearly leading you right now. I mean, you can look and see the pillar and know the presence of God is with you. Now you get distracted from faith. Now you become fearful and untrusting of God as the enemy shows up to the place where God told you to go. And he's right there and you're afraid. Come on, guys. I mean, we would do a lot better, right? <laughs> Now, see, this is us today, too. We're just like these Israelites in how easily and how often we get distracted. We get taken out of living in faith and obedience and trustingly focused upon God, and instead we begin to respond sinfully when things get difficult or uncomfortable or they don't follow our plans or preferences or they look really scary in what we see coming. We forget the things that God has said. We forget the things that God has done. We suddenly aren't quite sure if we want to follow this way that God is leading us because it looks really dangerous and really hard. We forget the same truth that they forgot. God knows the future fully because he controls it completely. Pharaoh and the army rolling up on Israel was not a surprise to God. He told them that's exactly what was going to happen. He wasn't just hedging his bets. I'm hoping we can get across the sea before they get there. It's kind of a a tactical risk, but I think we're going to make it across before they catch us. No, God knew. He said, make camp. Dig in right here. We're waiting for them. (laughs) So they camped right where God wanted them. The enemy was approaching and surrounding them just as God had planned. And they should have trusted God in that situation, but they didn't. And you and I should trust God when we're in situations like that, but often we don't. We need to remember the same thing they needed to remember. There should never be doubt that God is in total control. So let's speak this just directly to where we are, right? If we're just like them and we live just like them and we sin in these ways just like them, here's, here's how I want us to see this in the world and the moments that we live in. Church, I, I pray often for you, and I pray that we would soberly and rightly understand these times that we live in, where we are right now, and how God is working in this moment in history. Because none of this is by accident. None of this is by happenstance. This is all part of God's plan for this world and for you and I, just as much as this, what we're reading about in Exodus, was God's plan for Israel in that time. The times and the situations that we face, they can be really overwhelming to the human mind, to our limited perspective, if that's all we look at the world around us with. It's far too easy to get bogged down in moments in the here and now, to look around and to fear what's going on around us or what may be coming right around the next bend. 
to look and focus upon the evils that are taking place, the enemies of the faith that are in power around us, the persecutions that are happening, the threats that loom in our society, the potential problems that may arise in the future. We can look at all of those things around us and we become fearful. And we begin to distrust God. And we begin to wonder, have we, are, are we really where God put us? Are we really, is he really with us? Should we be afraid? Should we run? How should we handle this? Church, don't misunderstand me. These things do matter, and we should respond to them, and you should be aware of what's happening in this world, and you should be praying about these things. But we must never, ever lose focus of the bigger picture and this biblical truth. God is in total control, and he does not ever fail to accomplish his purpose or keep his word. Never. There's no no doubt. There's no risk with him. No governmental powers, no lockdowns, no cunning persecution cleverly disguised as health mandates and orders, no social engineering through media, no economic destruction from socialism or communism can stop God. Whatever it is that we look around and fear, this may be coming, this may be what's happening, I'm worried about what I see here, none of it is stronger than God. None of it will stop him. None of it can thwart him. He's still in control. And he's not worried at any moment. He's never calling an audible because none of it is a surprise to him. God is at work. But we get so easily distracted. Broadly as the church in the biggest sense and locally here in this local church body, we get distracted. Because we look at the threats around us. And we begin to worry and fear and forget the truth that God is in control of all things. So what we do is we do what Israel did and we sin by distrusting God. And we need to repent of that and we need to return to living in faith and belief that our God is in control and we are right where he wants us and he is working through all of this. God has led us, his church, his people, to this moment in time. And and to be real clear, yes, we are surrounded by enemies. There are evil leaders in governmental positions. There are destructive philosophies like critical race theory and intersectionality that are permeating our society. There is the clever use of things like COVID to persecute God's people. How many times have we talked about churches in other places around the world, up in Canada, being shut down, buildings being seized from them, pastors being put in jail, all under the auspices of, it's just it's because of COVID. There are threats that are happening. And I'm not naive, I'm not denying these things. But I'm also not focusing upon them, the threats that are around us, more than I'm looking to God, who's bigger than those things. We are told as Christian people, as the church of God, to live by faith and to stay on our mission, the mission that hasn't changed in the slightest since Jesus ascended to heaven. There's no caveat for 2021 and how bad the world is today. Same mission, same purpose. You and I have the same goal that we should have always had. That's what we're to be focused upon. To live daily lives of worship to God. To seek growth in grace and knowledge every single day. To disciple those around us that are in our circle every single day. Nothing of that has changed. So when we come in here, week after week after week, 
The reason we're looking up at God and not just around at what's happening is because God is calling us to look to him, not to the enemies surrounding us. That was Israel's problem. They did not look to Yahweh. They did not trust him as they saw the enemy approaching. They just focused on Pharaoh and the chariots and the armies. And this looks like a really big problem. What are we going to do? And they lived in fear. They are going to kill us all. Instead of trusting Lord, you brought us right here. You told us camp right here. And you have proven over and over and over and over again, it's all been your plan. So Lord, what are you going to do? That wasn't their response. So maybe the the Lord will convict some of us. Maybe the Holy Spirit's going to convict our hearts. If you've spent more time this week looking at the news than the word of God, you're looking to the wrong things. If you spent more time this week worrying about the future than remembering God's faithfulness and power in your own life and in the lives of his people all throughout the history of this world, you're focused on the wrong things. If you are anxious instead of actively engaged in the mission and pursuing God every day in your life, you are missing God's call upon your life. Stop living in fear and engage in the work of living by faith. That's what he's calling us to. To look at what God has done and is doing instead of the threats that loom on the horizon. Because God is leading us forward. He's brought us right here to this very moment, and maybe getting here to this very moment came through a path that you didn't like very much. It wasn't the path you wanted to take. It didn't, wasn't the path that made the most sense to you. It wasn't your expectations. It wasn't your hopes and desires. But here we are. God's led us to this moment. And now we need to trust him and worship him and be prepared to follow him as he takes us forward. The people of Israel sinned by focusing on Pharaoh, fearing Pharaoh rather than trusting the God who is leading them. And you and I today, we need to repent of that exact same sin. Many of us in this room are guilty of this same thing. Living our lives in sin day by day, feeling justified in how it consumes us because of how loud the culture is around us and how quiet it is when we turn to the word of God. But in no unclear terms, understand it is sin. And to live this way in fear is robbing you of spiritual vitality and growth. It is distracting and it is destructive. We are not called to live in fear. We are called to walk in faith. Worship team, if you'd come and prepare to lead us in our final song. Church, you have to understand how the gospel speaks to all of this. How the gospel is the message. Do not fear. I've handled it. Jesus died to set us free from our sins, from the captivity that you and I are born into this world with, struggle with at the deepest level. Jesus died to prove that God's word is true. His power is greater than anything that could hold us back. And Christian, you have today, every one of us, the Holy Spirit indwelling us, enabling us to repent and to live in faith and to walk in trust of God every single day. You're equipped for battle. But is God looking at you and saying, you're not ready? Or is God leading you forward into that because you are embracing his, follow, his leadership and following him? 
We need to raise our eyes to Christ. We need to look to the cross to see the power of Jesus dying in our place, shedding his perfect blood, giving us, imputing to us his righteousness as he takes our sins from us. This is the promise fulfilled ultimately. This is what we should trust in for our salvation. This is the God we should rely upon when things look hard around us. He's the one in control. So we have this song, these few moments to respond to God. The altars are open. More importantly, God's ear is open to any of us who would in these moments respond to him, repent of our sins, turn from our distractions, lift up our eyes to him. This is the moment. This is the moment to respond to who he is. And we have one more thing we're going to do when this song ends. But before we do that, before we rush off out of this room, we are going to respond to the word of the Lord and ask him, I repent of my distractions and my sins. And how should I turn to you today? Let's take a few moments to respond. Father, we thank you that you are the God who leads not just Israel all those years ago. You are the God who leads us right now. We thank you that we don't actually have to look, as amazing as it would have been, God, to see you show up in that great pillar and lead us physically in that way. You've given us this even greater gift today of your Holy Spirit in us who leads us day by day. You've given us the clarity of your word, access to it in our language. Lord, it's such a privileged moment that we live in. Help us sense your leading, Lord, as we pursue you. Help us to be faithful followers who go where you would have us go, who would live in faith, not fear. Lord, we thank you that you have brought us to this moment, in this place right now, with this opportunity to hear you speak to us through your word and to now respond to you, Lord, to ask, how would you have us go? Where would you have us go? What would you have us do? We believe you will lead us and we thank you for that great promise. We trust you. We want to live in faith. So Lord, we believe and we ask that you help our unbelief in your beautiful, powerful name, Lord Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You can be seated for just a moment. I said we have one more thing to do before we dismiss. So I want to, to do that this morning. For the second week in a row, we have the opportunity and we have the joy to celebrate God's goodness in our church as he grows the membership of this church. God is at work here and in these communities. And so I read to you last week this definition of church membership, and I will read it to you again. We believe that church membership is a covenant between a local church and a Christian with the church committing to spiritual oversight, discipleship, and care for the Christian, and the Christian committing to serving, submitting to, and investing in the local church and its mission. This morning, we have the joy of celebrating another membership commitment being made. Kay, if you would come to the front this morning. She's going to stand before this church body today and make this covenant, this commitment of herself to this church as a member here. She's committing this morning to affirming and supporting the church's mission, which is to make disciples who are growing together in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ and proclaiming his gospel and glory as their personal mission. As I said, the mission that we are on, my friends, has not changed since Jesus ascended to heaven. That's what we're to be about. That's what this church is going to be about. And so Kay wants to be a part of that. 
She's committing to following and submitting to the spiritual oversight of the leadership of this church. She is personally committing that she will pray for, she will support, she will be involved in gathering with and serving this church body. She's being obedient to the command of Hebrews chapter 13, 17, which tells us to be obedient to your leaders and submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. And let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So this morning, as she makes this commitment to this church body, I make a commitment to her as the pastor that God has ordained and placed here to live out the command he has spoken to me in 1 Peter 5, verses 2 and 3, that I am to shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering those in your charge, but being an example to the flock. And church, this morning, you have a commitment to make as well. The current members of Nelsonville Assembly who are here in this place, you will make a commitment to Kay as well. As a local church, our part is to provide discipleship and care and love for her. We're called to obey the many commands of Scripture on how we are to treat and act with one another. The chief among those, the most often repeated one in the words of the Apostle John is this, 1 John 4, 11, Beloved, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Today, Kay stands before us to join as an active member of this church. And if you are a member of this church this morning, would you stand with me now to accept her into membership and join me in praying over her? Wonderful. The rest of you, I'll invite you to stand and join us in prayer as well. Let's ask the Lord's blessing upon her and our church together. Father, we thank you so much for our sister. We thank you for her love and her trust and faith in you, Lord. That is what binds all of us together in this room from different backgrounds with different interests, different family lines. We come together in this place because we love you and you have loved us. What an amazing gift that is, Lord. And so we thank you that our sister here is saying, this is, this is my church. This is my family. This is the mission that I am on here in this local community. And so, Lord, we just pray your blessings would rest upon her. We thank you for her. We thank you for the gifts and the talents and the abilities and the heart and the passion that you have given her. And, Lord, we pray that you would lead all of us to use those things well to reach this place that you have put us, this moment that you have put us in, and that you would bless, Lord, our sister and us as we pursue you every single day. We thank you for this great moment that we have, this great celebration and joy that we have. And Lord, we look to you and we desire to follow you together as this church in this place on the mission that you have given us. It's in your beautiful, powerful name we pray, Lord Jesus. And everyone said, amen. 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 Thank you so much. Remember, there's no youth or men's ministry here tonight. Church night at the fair, seven o'clock. I hope you'll be there. Take a few minutes to talk with someone on the way out. Greet our newest member. Have a wonderful afternoon.